Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast with Pastor Tim Jacobs, a ministry of Compass Church with your Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's Word to be challenged and changed. Well, I'm so glad you're here at Compass. I'm Tim Jacobs, the lead pastor here, and thanks for coming. I tell you, we got freeway closures, we got fall break, and uh, just kicking off our Saturday night services, still a couple months in, and so thank you for being here and for making it happen with us. And I tell you, this series could not have come at a better time. And I, I really think, especially as, as you're watching the news and you're seeing what's going on, and we're a month away from this election, and obviously this whole thing has been on people's minds. If there's one thing I think that encapsulates all of this, it's that we have in our country, especially among our leadership, what I would call a crisis of character. It's just flat out a crisis of character. And we're seeing this unfold in a variety of different ways. And in some ways, we as a nation are responsible for that because we elect our leaders. We choose the people who we think are going to be the best. And so with this series, it's been interesting. I don't know if you've noticed this, but one observation I've had is, is compared to other political seasons that we've had in the past, it's been strange how few bumper stickers I've seen around town for any candidate. Have you noticed that? I mean, there's a few, and maybe some of you are bold enough to put one on your car. But the vast majority of people, by now, we're a month out, by now you'd see much more activity. Uh, I, I felt comfortable earlier in the years past putting something on my car because it wasn't like, you know, it was a big deal, but it wasn't like something that was felt so contentious. And right now we're just in this weird spot where it seems like people are going to be um, voting for who they don't want, like, like they're voting to make sure that the person they don't want to get in doesn't get in, as opposed to voting for the person that they want to, to be in. And so it's a really interesting time. And so today what I'd like to do is give you a different idea, a different, something to get, something I guess I could rather say to, to get excited about. There was rather than going, oh man, we've got no really great choices. Who's going to lead our country? This crisis of leadership, this crisis of character. What I want to do today is kick off a series to say, is there a cause that we can truly be excited about, that we can truly be um, pumped about, that we can, we can wear, that we can broadcast, that we know won't let us down? And so, you have a lot of different parties, right? You have the Republican Party, the Democrat Party, the Libertarian Party, the Independent Party, the Green Party. Did you know there is actually a pirate party? I'm not joking. I looked up the political parties. There is a real political party called the Pirate Party. And uh, I don't know if like Jack Sparrow is their candidate or whatever. But you can go on and you can look and you can see that they actually have a legit thing. But of, of all those parties, what I'd like to introduce to you today is what I'm going to call the Gospel Party. And so what I want to talk to you about today is if there really were such a party, what would be the platform? What would be the main message? Because for any person who's going to be in a, pol a political candidate, what's so important for them is messaging. That people understand crystal clear what that politician or what that leader is trying to do. And so if we were to have a gospel party, 
I would, and, and Jesus was our leader. I believe that if, you, if you're here this evening and you focus in on what we're going to talk about, that you would have crystal clear idea of exactly what it is that Jesus is trying to do, that the message of Jesus is all about. And so you'll see why we call it the gospel party in just a second. But the first thing we need to do is talk about what this word means. What does the word gospel mean, and why is it so important? Now, you may not have been aware of this, but right when Jesus began his ministry, or his campaign, so to speak, when he went around traveling and speaking and trying to help people understand who he was and what he was trying to do, right after he called his disciples, right out of the gate, we see this verse in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. And it says, and he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. See, some of us think that Jesus just simply showed up to earth and kind of made himself known a little bit, just enough to get in trouble so he can get crucified, and then that would be that. But he had a three-year ministry that was very strategic and direct, where he had a very specific and clear message. And the clear message was preaching, proclaiming, making known the gospel of of the kingdom. And then again in Luke, in the book of Luke as well, at the beginning of his ministry, it says a similar thing. I'm, he, Jesus says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. Why? For I was sent for this purpose. The reason I'm here is that people would know the gospel or the good news. So the thing that we have to do is make sure we make a distinction between the word gospel and the word religion. Jesus was not coming to earth to institute a new religion. Okay? He, that was not his goal. There was already a religion that was doing just fine. It was called Judaism. Judaism, at that point, even with Though they had the Ten Commandments and they had a few other laws and that sort of thing, they, by then they had a ruling class called the Pharisees, and the Pharisees had come up with 640 different commandments. That's a pretty intense religion, right? So Judaism was alive and well at the time that Jesus came around. It did not need a competitor religion because there were plenty of people working very hard, trying to be very good following these 640 commands. So why did Jesus come? He did not come to institute a new religion. He came proclaiming the gospel. And the th if you can get nothing else out of what I'm going to tell you this evening, please understand that those two are very radically different things. People will think that you come to Compass Church because you're religious. And I'm telling you, that is far from the truth. This is not about religion. This is about the gospel. And it's very different. The gospel, if we were to define it, most specifically, we could break it down in these two words. Good news. Good news. Not bad news. Not annoying news. Not terrible news. Good news. In fact, it comes from the old English word, good spell. It's actually like well, one word that they, or two words um, actually that they put together. Good spell. And so if you were like, in, in, in the, like the, you know, dark ages or middle ages or whatever, and you spoke English, you would have, you would say, hey, tell me a good spell. A good spell was a good story. It was like something you'd say, you know, sit around a campfire, you know, you got nothing to do, you're roasting marshmallows or something or a squirrel or whatever you're roasting back then on a stick. And you say, hey, tell me a good spell. I'm bored. And I tell you a good story. That's what the gospel is. It's good 
news. It's not bad news. It's good news. Now, what is the good news? And if it's supposed to be such good news, is there a way that we can understand it that makes, that you could remember, like, if you're going up an elevator with somebody and you could say, hey, listen, there's this thing called the gospel, and it means good news, and the good news is this. Now, rather than having some big, long statement, let me just give you three simple words. If you remember these words, you can remember so much of what simply Jesus was trying to get across during his three years on earth. And it was this, it's this phrase. God saves sinners. God saves sinners. Now, the reason why that's so important is because you might say, well, the gospel is that God loves people. And he does love people. But when you hear, when you say, well, God loves you, that leaves a lot of gray areas. You know, well, well but d- does he love everybody? And does he love, does he love bad people? Does he love evil people? Does he just, is his love indiscriminate to where it doesn't matter what you do or who you are? I don't understand it. It leaves a lot of questions. So we say, well, of course God loves us, but the gospel is more than just God loving us. God saves us and God saves Sinners, not just people that are kind of okay, but people who have a serious, serious problem. So when you say God saves sinners, it begs a few questions. It's very, very clear, and it causes you to ask a question. Well, what do I need to be saved from? I mean, if I'm, if I, if I'm a sinner and God saves people, well, then what, what does he need to be saved from? If you need to be saved, it's probably a good idea to know what it is that you need to be saved from. And then the second question might be, well, how would I be saved? Am I like dangling from a cliff or something? And he comes by on a, you know, a little, you know, forklift and goes up. How, how am I saved? What, what is the process? What is the way? What, what, what is it I need to be saved from? And how am I saved? So when you say the gospel is good news, because God doesn't, doesn't just, just let people go. God doesn't just walk away. God doesn't give up on people. God saves sinners. And not just people, but sinners. Now, we are all fit into that category, but it's not just simply, well, just people, but people who are, who are very unlikable. People who are very unlikely. People who you and I would not want to necessarily be associated with. These are the kinds of people God saves. And so in the Gospel Party platform, the first talking point, and the one that I want you to walk away from today and say, listen, the, the message that I want to get excited about because I, I look at the political uh, uh, landscape, and I look at the people standing up saying, believe in me, trust me, I won't let you down. And going, okay, sure. And we're kind of we're in this weird spot now as a country. The message that I want to, you to be captivated by and, and blown away by and never give up on and give your life to is the message that God saves sinners, not condemns them, not, not, not hates them, not want, but God saves people, saves sinners. So, listen to what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 1.15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world, ready, to save sinners. Now the reason Paul knew this and the reason that we can know this and, and, and read about is, and, and understand it is that we can find out and read about who it is that Jesus hung out with when he was here on the earth. Because you think if he was here on earth, he'd probably hang out with like really like famous pastors, you know, and or maybe people that are really super spiritual and just kind of like never really do anything wrong and they're kind of always like hanging out in the woods by themselves and kind of con- contemplative. Well, he'd hang out with those people. But when Jesus actually was here, he didn't hang out with people like that. He hung out with people that you and I would go, oh, really? 
just trying to start a religion, you're doing a really, this is not good messaging, okay? You're really doing yourself harm by hanging out with these types. You're not making yourself any friends by associating with these types of people. So we read the Gospels, it's really amazing the kind of people hung out with. So one guy, his name is Zacchaeus. Now Zacchaeus happened to be a tax collector. So now these days, you go, know, okay, tax collector guy worked for the IRS. Nobody really likes anybody that works for the IRS. Although our head security guy here, um, uh, Mike, he works for the IRS, and he's an awesome, he's my favorite IRS guy that I know. He's the only IRS guy that I know, but he's still my favorite. And he's like the nicest guy in the world, except if you come here trying to do something wrong, and then <laughs> he'll shoot you. Um, but anyway, because he's our security guy, so, I mean, no, nothing personal. So, um, but in any case, so, uh, but these tax collectors, they were not just like people that worked for the government or worked for the IRS and were kind of annoying because they send you letters in the mail and they harass you. These guys were corrupt, horrible people. First of all, what they would do is they'd go around your door and knock on your door and they'd say, hey, you owe me, you owe the government, the Roman government some money, but they would overcharge you because there's nothing you do about it, right? So they would come up with your tax bill, they would overcharge you, pocket the difference, and keep it for themselves. Not only that, but in Zacchaeus' case, he most likely had like a downline, so he had like other guys working for him. So they go down and shake people down, get all the kinds of money from them, and then he'd get a cut of what they made, right? So he's making all of this money, being totally corrupt, and he was hated by everybody. And to top everything off, he was a Jew. He was a Jew. Now, yeah, what's the big deal? These guys are all Jews in that area, yeah, but he was a Jew working for the Roman government. He was a sellout. He was a traitor. Working for the occupying force. Switch sides. On top of it all off, he was kind of a little guy. And uh, so I, I picture this guy, kind of like if, if there was made a movie about him, you know, they'd probably be starring Danny DeVito, you know? Little guy, kind of shady character, right? I mean, he, Danny DeVito's kind of endearing, but, but this guy wouldn't even have that. He just, you know the movies he plays a lot of times, it's like he's a little guy that's always kind of up to something, up to no good, and it's like, this guy's annoying. This would be Zacchaeus. So one day Jesus is preaching, and Zacchaeus can't see him because he's a little guy. So he climbs up a tree. I mean, he's kind of a dork to climb up a tree, too. I mean, like, you know, here he's like climbing up a tree. People go, what is this guy doing? This guy, everybody hates this guy. And then he looks like a, like a total fool climbing up this tree. And people are like embarrassed. Like, why is this guy always, they're just, they don't even want him in their community. And so while this is going on, Jesus is teaching, and he sees Zacchaeus up in the tree. And he says, hey, come down off that tree. I'm going to have lunch at your house today. I'm going to come visit you today at your house. Now, what's crazy about that is that if you are trying to start a religion or become popular or ingratiate yourself to, the, to your followers, the last person you would hang out with would be Zacchaeus because nobody liked him. He was a con. He was a fraud. He was a dangerous person. For Jesus to hang out with him would be a terrible thing. But he did. In fact, look what it says. In Luke 19, verse 7. Look at, look at the response of the people. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. Like, right? And they said, he has gone in to be the guest of the man who is a sinner. That's religion talking, guys. That's religion. Look at Jesus eating with this, this bottom of the barrel kind of a guy. But here's the difference. Zacchaeus knew it. He knew it. He's like, I know I'm no good. It's clear. I know I'm corrupt. I know I'm wrong. I know nobody likes me. 
Everybody else is kind of like, well, you know, see, here's the thing. Here's the thing about religion, guys. Religion is a beauty contest. Religion, is, that's all it is. So I'm going to dress myself up and, and make myself look as pretty as I can. Because really, at the end of the day, if, if, I'm, if I can win and I beat you, then God will love me and I'll go into heaven. Now you might say you believe something different about the gospel, but let me ask you a question. How do you live? Do you really believe the gospel that God saves sinners? Or do you try your best to just kind of dress everything up, secretly hoping that God, you know, won't hold all these things against you and you're just doing everything you possibly can to look pretty in front of him, in front of everybody else? Because you don't really believe that it's God who saves you, not you that saves you. Religion is kind of like that old joke between the, where the two guys are out in the woods and then they start getting chased by a bear. You know that joke? And then they run, start running away. And the one guy says to the other guy, man, I really hope we can outrun this bear. And the other guy says, I'm not worried about outrunning the bear. All I got to do is outrun you. Right? Everybody knows that joke. That's religion, guys. Religion is, I just got to do better than you, and I'll be one of the select. I'll be one of the people. How do I know? Well, I know by looking around. I know by judging other people and by making myself feel better by looking at the rules that they're not following and knowing and giving myself uh, my own sense of self-righteousness. That's religion. And Jesus railed against that because he wasn't here to start a new religion. He was here to proclaim a, a piece of news, an event that was about to happen, which is that God saves sinners, not condemns sinners. This is our party platform. So what happens is Jesus goes into this guy's house and the guy, for the first time in his life, sees grace. He sees something he doesn't deserve. He knows he's, in the eyes of the world, he knows he's irredeemable. And when, he's, when he sees Jesus, and we don't know all the details of what happened in that, but something happened in his life where his heart was moved deeply. And so he responds and he says, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, listen to this, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. And this is the key verse. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Now I think if Jesus were walking around here today, he'd be hanging out with some nefarious characters. He might be even hanging out with the, the person that you're not voting for and going and spending time. Not, be, not because he's excusing what they do, not because he dismisses their lives as no big deal, but because he loves them. He loves them. And he doesn't want to see anyone miss the grace of his Father. I mean, we, we are so quick to cast judgment on other people when we ourselves don't realize when we say God saves sinners, it's talking about us. It's talking about us. I'm so glad that, that God saved a person like me who at 15 years old was just a, becoming a menace. A menace. I mean, I the perfect upbringing, nothing to complain about. If you saw me, if you saw me uh, I don't know, 28 years ago or whatever, 27 years, you've seen a guy that was running around letting the air out of people's tires, you know, starting little, 
little fires here, and they're not big fires, but little, you know, little, just, just, just some guy, I mean, I thank God for statute of limitations, you know, but, but just, just a bad, rambunctious kid, just a punk, just an absolute punk who ran around with other punk kids. I can't believe the stuff, that, but it was even more than that. It was a condition of the heart. It was an arrogance. It was a pride. It was a, and I was headed nowhere, and yet God chose to visit me, and God brought other people into my life to, to love me. I didn't deserve that. I deserved nothing. I don't deserve to be on this stage talking to you, but because of the gospel. See, I would fail a religion bad. I've been the worst at religion because I don't, I don't like rules anyway. I'm just like a rule. I, like, tell me the rules so I can break them. That was, my, that was my whole thing when I was a kid. I hated rules. So I would have been awful. Or I would have gone the other way and said I'll beat everybody because I was kind of competitive too. But So I was just a rebellious slash competitive kind of kid. The greatest thing that I've had to learn throughout my life is that what God wants for me is, is not all this, tri- and this performance, but God wants a soft heart that recognizes that I have been brought from death to life because of his grace. So there's one guy that Jesus hung out with. There's another guy that Jesus, or another person that Jesus hung out with as well. There was a woman he hung out with who's been called the Samaritan woman that Jesus had an extensive conversation with at a well. Now there are two problems with the Samaritan woman. The first one that was that she is a Samaritan, and the second one was that she is a woman. So because Jews didn't hang out with Samaritans. Samaritans were like lower class people. So I don't need to get racial on you, but if you can, if you, ever, everyone in your mind, you have probably fought with issues in your life of who you wouldn't want to be seen with, a certain class or a certain race of person, and God's had to heal you from that. But there's some people like, I wouldn't want to be hanging out with that guy, because that person, that person's classless. That person would make me look bad. You know what I'm saying? And so you would not want to get, uh, you know, a selfie with the Samaritan woman if you were a Jew and get that put on Facebook. You just wouldn't want that. He's like, please don't tag me in that, right? Because you wouldn't want to be seen with this person because she's a lower class person if you were a Jew. Second thing is, men didn't really hang out with women that weren't their spouses, and they certainly didn't have any serious theological conversations. They were not taken seriously. Their testimony was not held up in court. They didn't, they didn't have a voice back then. So Jesus takes a lower class person who happens to be a woman and speaks to her very seriously and honestly and openly in a way that quite frankly shocked his disciples. They're like, what is this guy doing? He's wrecking his own campaign. He's messing up his whole message. This is not what he's supposed to be about. But he was breaking all the rules. And it wasn't just her ethnicity and it wasn't just her gender. It was also her lifestyle. She was the girl, guys, that your mother warned you about. She just was. So when Jesus is talking to her, at one point he says, go bring back your husband. She goes, I don't have a husband. He goes, that's right. You have five, or you've had five. And the guy you're living with now, number six, you're not even married to him. What you say is quite true. She's like, whoa, where'd you come from? This is crazy. This woman, we're talking like, Seriously, I mean, we're talking like Elizabeth Taylor tabloid kind of stuff here. This is the level of, and and can you imagine her reputation in the town that she lived in? Everybody knows, everybody talks, everybody gossips. A woman that's been through five husbands and living with guy number six? Nobody has respect for a woman like that. She's a dangerous woman too. 
I wouldn't, I mean, I'm a pastor. You think, you think I would want to be seen with that kind of, would you want me without my wife to be seen with that woman and get a picture of me in the West Valley View? Like, here's Pastor Tim of Compass Church with this woman that's had five husbands living with the current guy, and they're like, hey, you guys would go, that's wrong. You shouldn't be associating with those kind of people. Jesus did. Jesus did. And so as he's talking to her, he's proclaiming the message that God saves sinners and that God loves her. Throughout this conversation, this is what comes up. And so she gets to this place where, again, just like Zacchaeus, her heart is touched deeply. It's not the Pharisees. It's not the holy guys. It's not the the people that are doing everything right that go, oh, I get it, you're the Messiah. No, those guys miss it all. It's the people who, who feel so far away from God. And they go, you'd actually spend time with me? Like, you would, I'm not even worthy to be loved by you. I'm not even worthy to be talked to by you. I'm not worthy to be visited by you. Jesus says, that's the person I want to talk to. So her heart melts. And she runs back into town. I mean, imagine this. This is not the woman that that you go to for spiritual leadership. She runs back into town. And look what it says in verse 39 of John chapter 4. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him. Because of the woman's testimony, he told me all that I ever did. There's a lot in there. We don't have time to get into all that. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with him, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard ourselves, and we know that this is indeed what? The Savior of the world. Why? (laughs) Because God saves sinners. God saves people. You don't save yourself. Well, if I just try hard enough, God will recognize that I meant well. That's saving yourself. You can't do that. God's the one that saves you. And he saves you through Jesus. So God saves sinners. So the question we have to ask then is how are we saved? In what way are we saved? Well, the answer to that is very simple. And it's just, I can say it in one sentence, and that is this. Jesus came into the world and took our place. So the way in which we were saved is we as sinners, all of us are deserving of punishment, but Jesus came into the world and took our place and stood where we should have stood. This is called the incarnation. Tim Keller in his book, Center Church, talks about this author, this novelist named Dorothy Sayers, who was one of the first women to graduate from Oxford University. So she's writing these novels, these like murder mystery detective novels. And one of the, her main characters is this guy named Lord Peter Whimsey. This guy was a single man. He was a detective. As, I guess as the story goes, he's obviously lonely because he's this single guy. And all of a sudden in the story, there is this other character whose name is Harriet Vane, who, as the story goes, she just happens to be a graduate of Oxford, one of the first female graduates of Oxford, who is a novelist. And people who read her books would say that what happened was she had this character, this Lord Peter Whimsey, and she fell in love with this character. And so she wrote herself into the story to rescue him. And exactly what this woman did in her story is what God did in his story. 
He created characters, and he loved us so much that he wrote himself into our story so he could rescue us. That's the good news. That's the gospel. Now, if you don't have that, you, have, you always have a God that is distant. You always have a God that's up there going, you know, if I could just get down there somehow, I'd show these people how to figure this out. So he's either incapable or unwilling to do the most beautiful thing, as we can all recognize. Wow, that's a really beautiful thought that this lady would just write herself into the story and rescue this, this fictional character. What a cool thought. But, but the reason why we think it's cool and resonate with it is because that's actually what happened in real life with us. It's a beautiful thing. Have you ever really understood God that way before? Do you see God like that? For many of us, God is distant because we didn't have a very good relationship with our Father. And so you are alienated from your own father. And you go, you know what? I, my dad was either, he's like absent or abandoned me or he's abusive or he just never said or did anything. He just like went out in the garage and hung out and didn't say anything. And it's always just felt like, like this. And so what you do is you carry that into your conception of God. And that begins to form and becomes very, very hard. I spoke with people even just this week who, as we were talking through some of these issues, and it's very, very hard for them to have the conception to even believe in a God that would actually do that because all of their experience tells them that that kind of thing just doesn't happen. But it did. And it does. Because God wrote himself into our story. And so, by the way, in one of the most familiar verses of the Bible, I never talk about this because I assume everybody knows it, and I just, it's like things get so familiar you forget about it. But look at what John 3.16 says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now that does it. That there's, there's two things going on there. So if you believe in him, you won't perish. If you don't believe in him, you will perish. That's a, real, that's a reality. You will perish. The bad news is, is that all of us are headed for an eternity spent apart from God in hell. The good news is, God saves sinners. And so you believe in him, and you should not perish. But look at verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So the other way he saves us is by paying for our sins fully and completely. You see, the gospel message is that God saves sinners. And he saves us by becoming one of us and then standing in our place. And this is called substitution. The Bible says he became sin in our place. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see that? So for our sake he made him to be sin. Not just carry sin, but become our sin. Isn't that crazy when you think about that? That God lifts the sin, like extracts the sin and the ugliness and the evil and the backbiting and the gossip and the murderous thoughts and the, the craziness and the addiction and the abortion and all the stuff that you beat yourself. And he, he does not only place it on his son, his son becomes that. It like infuses into him. He wears all of that. And then he dies. And all of that sin dies with him. Why? so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, the innocence, the purity. Do you notice what it doesn't say? It doesn't say for our sake Jesus was sent to the world so you could see a really good idea of what a really good guy looks like and you could try to be like him so that maybe God will think you're good. But that's how so many of us live. That's our default position. 
our default position is, and you don't have confidence in the fact that you've been saved in this way. And so this is what uh, Martin Luther called this great exchange. God's sin, or, God, or God's righteousness for our sin. The righteousness of Christ for our sin. Listen to what J.I. Packer writes. He says, our sins have been punished. The wheel of retribution has turned. Judgment has been inflicted for our ungodliness. But on Jesus, the Lamb of God, standing in our place. So we don't do a lot of hymns here because someone stole our pipe organ. Um, just kidding. We never had a pipe organ. But hymns, and I know someone's like, well, we don't do a lot of hymns here because they're really old. But I got to tell you, hymns have incredibly, and we do, we, we, kick, we kick up a few, like, you know, pull out some and then redo them and kick them up. One of the beautiful things about hymns is that there's so much theology in that, so much, like, stuff that makes you kind of blow your mind when you really understand it. Where you go, whoa, that's really cool. The, the, the only, mo- and, and I, I'm serious about this, the only modern day equivalent is uh, Christian hip-hop. And I kid you not. Because we often think um, in kind of our culture, the, our musical culture here at Compass, if we don't do like a lot of hip-hop songs, like Gabe doesn't come in with like, his hat backwards and stuff like that and with the microphone, and he doesn't do that. I'm trying to get him to do that, but he won't do it. But anyway, but a lot of times, like, we can sit there and, and like, we sing songs that just go, like, Jesus. And I'm not putting their music because the music's great. But, but a lot of times, our genre over the past several decades, you know, the, 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 um, the musical genre, the worship genre of contemporary music has been very much like, you know, Jesus over and 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 over again. Whereas you listen to a lot of Christian hip-hop, and there's, there's guys, and I listen to some of these guys, and I'm like, man, there's an entire theology class in that. And if you memorize that, you would know more theology than most Christians if you memorized it. And you got to get like a subwoofer in your car, right? Crank that thing up. <laughs> anyway, so listen to this. These are some old compilations of hymns. Again, I take this from J.I. Packer. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a Savior. See, that's good news. Good news isn't, well, I hope God isn't mad at me, and I hope I make it to heaven even after all the crappy things I've done. No, no, that's good news. It goes on. He left his Father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace. Emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. Amazing love, how can it be? For, oh my God, it found out. So you should always be like, you should always be blown away when you really consider the fact that you've been saved. Like that should always make you go. My personal opinion is, and, and you know, Dave has pigeonholed me as the non-emotional guy around on staff, right? He's the compassionate one, and I'm like the cutthroat. But you may not know this, but I do have emotions inside. This, this heart still beats is soft. No, but I'm, I'm totally joking. <laughs> but, um, but I will tell you that I really believe that when you consider the fact that you've been saved, and even you, even after all, at least once in your life, you should be moved to tears. You should be moved to tears. And if you're not, either you're just like, just, you've, got a, you've just got to steal. I don't mean in a negative. I mean, you just might be one of those guys, one of those women. Or maybe you don't fully understand. Repentance should bring this sense of incredible relief and it should move you to tears. 
And if it doesn't, you may not get the magnitude of it. Either you don't get the magnitude of how much you've been saved or you don't get the magnitude of your sin that you've been saved from. If thou hast my discharge procured and freely in my room endured the whole of wrath divine, payment God cannot twice demand, first at my bleeding surety's hand and then again at mine. Double jeopardy. You can't be tried twice for the same crime. You've already been tried and found guilty and Jesus was sent to the execution for you. It's already happened, so you, you can't be brought up again. It legally cannot be brought up again. Turn then, my soul, unto thy rest. The merits of thy great high priest have bought thy liberty. The merits of the great high priest. Not the merits of you. The merits of the great high priest. You get that? Trust in his efficacious blood, nor fear thy banishment from God, since Jesus died for thee. So what does this require of us? Well, if you don't know this love, if you don't know this grace, all I'm asking you to do today is embrace it. This is, this is, this is not religion, guys. I'm asking you to embrace the gospel party platform, the message of Jesus. That's all it is. I'm asking you to believe that God did in fact save you through the blood of Jesus. Even you, fully and completely. Do you believe that? If you do that, listen, oh, do I have to sign a sheet? Do I have to? No. No, no. The, the, do you see what I'm saying? Jesus, Jesus sat with Zacchaeus. Jesus hung out with a Samaritan woman. There's nothing that you could do that's, that, that would outdo their social standing in terms of lower. You're, 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 you know what I'm saying? Like, there's no, if he can hang out with those guys, he'll hang out with you. He'll visit you. If you believe that without him there'd be no hope for you, if you really believe that, or if you're like, ah, you know, ah, well, I'm still kind of a good guy. Ah, not in the face of a holy God. For those of us who already believe, we got to be about the gospel. Can I ask you a question, Christian? Are you preaching this to yourself every single day? Do you wake up? It's almost like that movie with Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore where she, I forgot the name of the movie. It's kind of ironic. Oh, 50 First Dates. Um, where she, remember, she wakes up every day and she forgot her, she, she has like amnesia from her whole life, so she ends up like making the video and so she could put the little video in back when they had videos. And, uh, she could watch her whole life, and so she, like, 10 minutes, she could be caught up to where she is, because every day, she, when she goes to sleep, she forgets her life, and she wakes up, and she has no idea who she is. You know, we, we have to do that every day. Every day of your life, you have to wake up and remind yourself of the stuff that I just read. Remind yourself of these verses, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith, not by works, but by a God who loves you beyond more than anything you could understand. You will forget that. You will drift away from that. Your heart will not default to that because we're not wired that way. We're wired to perform and, ex and, and judge and expect to do things on our own. You have to retrain over and over and remind yourself every day 
what your standing is. Are you confident of your standing in Jesus? Or are you walking around like, oh, I don't know, I just feel like God's up there and he doesn't really care. And then, have you forgotten what the cross was? Again, um, Keller gives this great illustration about two people get on the same flight. And the one guy is like, you know, just gets in, opens up his little iPad, and just doesn't even think about it, right? The other person gets on the plane, and they're freaking out. They're afraid of everything. See, because oftentimes we can think, well, you know, the only way to stay close to God is I gotta have no, I gotta, my faith's got, I gotta have no faith, I gotta have no faith. So people will tell me, well, you know, I just, I gotta make sure I have no faith. I gotta make sure, and sometimes churches will teach, well, if you don't have enough faith, you're gonna fall out, you know. If you want good things to happen, you gotta have enough faith. And you're like, I'm struggling my faith, I'm struggling, I don't know, I don't know. And you got two guys on the plane. One guy's like, eh, no problem, we'll make it. I, you know, I have, I have faith. And then the other guy is, is uh, completely freaked out, you know. Freaked out a taxi, freaked out a takeoff, freaked out flying over the ocean, freaked out anytime there's a bump, freaked out when he comes in for landing, is scared the whole time. What happens? Plane takes off, they make it, they land, everything's fine. Two people, totally different levels of faith. Why did they get there safely? Not because of their faith, but because of the object of their faith. Because of the power and the skill and the ability of the pilot to get them safely home. That's where we trust. Don't trust in your own lodge to trust in my own faith. Don't do that. You don't need to do that. And so, when we do this, we also remember that God, as he's transformed us, it should transform every relationship in our life. I'll tell you, the only thing that's going to heal the racism problem that we have is Jesus. The only thing. Tell me a better idea. The only thing, when I start realizing, and I look around, and the, 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 the class wars, and the race wars, and the, the, uh, you know, the 1%, and the gender wars, and blah, 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 blah. The only thing that's going to heal all that is when I go, you know what, I'm a sinner, and God saved me, and I didn't deserve that. And every person around me has been created in the image of God. And my only goal in life is to sign up, not for the Republicans, or the Democrats, or the Independents, or the Libertarians, or the Pirates. My own, I was joking about the Pirate Party. I mean, it's real, but, you know. Um, my only goal is I'm going to live for the gospel. I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm going to be about that message. Guys, be about that message. And don't worry, what, 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 the, what happened, you know, look. Yeah, we need to, you need to vote your conscience, do your thing. We need to pray for our country, pray for our leaders. But that's not where our hope comes from. That's not where history is going. History is start, starts and finishes with the message of the gospel. That's all I have for you. Let's pray together. God, in these few minutes that we have, I would ask if anyone here is here today saying, huh, that's me. I want Jesus. I want forgiveness. I want the gospel. I believe I believe that I've been saved. Undeserving. And yet fully and completely. If that's, as anyone there today, God, I pray that you just work in their heart and they would say, yeah, that's me. They'd respond right now. And I pray for the people in here who would already call themselves Christians. God, break us. Meaningless, worthless religion. Rehashed, man-made rules and regulations. Break us of fear. And we'd be set on fire 
by the beauty of your grace. God, you loved us while we were undeserving. May we keep that message in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for Him? To find out more about our church online, go to www.compasschurch.info and we'll see you next time.